Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Try this one more time. Hey, look at that. Nice. For those of you I have not met yet, my name is Josh Havman, and I am the executive pastor at Grace. And uh, this is, I think, the third time I've had the chance to speak to you all. The first time I made the grievous error, Andrew almost had me excommunicated, of saying that the fruit of the Spirit were listed in Ephesians and not Galatians. And then the second time I spoke, uh, there was another grievous error in one of my examples, but nobody called me out on it, so I'm not going to tell you. And now tonight, I am bound to rile up some of you, and I'll give you fair warning, so just, just watch for it. Tonight, we are in the same series that's been going on, the Searching for Answers series. We're looking to encounter Jesus in conversations and in questions that folks have when they meet Jesus or when they're just living their lives. And the question that we're going to tackle tonight, or we're going to try at least, is what is evil? And this is kind of a strange question. It's not the sort of question that most people are asking Jesus, but Jesus isn't talking to most people. If you paid attention uh, when Jeff was reading just now, Jesus is talking to Satan. So this is not your average conversation. So we're going to find out what is evil, and I'm going to tell you right now so you don't have to wait till the end of the sermon to find out. It's the rejection of God. And that's it. Have a great night, guys. Thanks for being here. That's not it. Evil is the rejection of God. Why is evil the rejection of God? What does that mean when we say that, or when I say that? I'm going to try and convince you that that's what is true. 
Everyone knows something about what evil is. If I ask you what evil is, you've got ideas. And for some of you, the ideas are things like monsters and horror movies and things that go bump in the night. When you, when you hear evil, that's what you think. And for some of you, when I say evil, you think about very practically things that are bad, people who kill and people who steal and people who harm. And that's what you think of when you think of evil. The world, when it talks about evil, tends to talk about evil in terms of a force that's sort of opposed to good, and good and evil are both there and in the world, and they're kind of striving for balance. And when you have a person who's of supreme good rise up in the world, that there's likely to be a person of supreme evil who rises up, and they, they kind of counterbalance each other. And that's not actually what Scripture says, but it is what Star Wars says. And so you're familiar with it. That's not true, though. That's not how Christians define good and evil. Christians define good and evil by looking at God because God is the source of good. Why does God get to be the source of good? Well, God made everything. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. And so God is good. And when we look in Scripture, we see God is defined as good. And therefore, evil is opposed to God. It is the rejection of God. But Satan is not the opposite of God in the way that He is the embodiment of evil and like the all-powerful evil one. He's powerful, but he's not as powerful as God is. In fact, God has already defeated him. God has already won that battle. So when when we think about that, we can't use the world's definition of these equal but opposite forces. God is good. He's goodness. And when Satan rejects God, he is rejecting good. And so he is embracing evil. So in one sense, this is clear to us. Of course, right, that's evil to reject God. But for most of us, we haven't had the experience of being challenged in our faith in such a way that we would have to reject God and live or embrace God and die. And yet that is the case for many people in the world. Many people in in parts of the world where Christianity is persecuted, they don't have the chance to live lives like we do where people don't actually ask us what we believe. They just sort of assume. In some places and parts of the world, you're often challenged in your faith or about your faith. Here, not so much. But here, daily, we do have the opportunity to reject God. And so daily, we need to think about, what am I I doing? Why, Why am I making the decisions I'm making? What are the things that I have in my life that are good, what are, what are bad? And we have to think about them in terms of what Jesus offers us as good and what the corrupted, force, uh, the, the corrupted um, offerings of Satan are. So um, evil is the rejection of God, and we're going to talk about that specifically in three ways, that Satan is tempting Jesus to reject God, and he tempts us as well, and they are these. To reject what God has provided, the purposes that he has for us, and then also the person of God himself. And then we'll also get to how Jesus responds, which is to rely on God's provision and purpose and person. So that's where we're headed. If I don't get there, you can challenge me after the service and say, why didn't you get there? We should get there. We should get there on time. I usually end on time, sometimes too early. Sometimes I go too fast. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for these words from you. Thank you for teaching us about yourself and about what it means to have you in our lives. Lord, this is good that we would know you. This is good that we would have life with you. I pray, Lord, that we would see how you defeat evil, how you overwhelm it, Lord. You overcome it with good. 
I, so, I just ask that we would see that in your words tonight and nothing from me, nothing from the words I've chosen, Lord, but show us yourself. Show us what you are doing and what you have done. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. In the Word, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. Forty days and forty nights, he's hungry. We would all be hungry. We wouldn't blame Jesus for being hungry. Of course he's hungry after that long in the wilderness without food. But when Satan tempts him and says, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread, Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm not going to do that because I've got food coming later. He doesn't respond with regard to physical hunger. Look how Jesus responds. He says, it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan is not just tempting Jesus, pardon me, to make food for himself. Satan is tempting Jesus to seek provision other than what God has given him. We know that this is true. We know that this is what's going on, the larger picture, because Satan has done this before. This is from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit tree that is in the midst of the garden or the middle, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Notice that Eve is in a place of abundance. She is surrounded by every possible fruit tree that she could want. That's where God has placed Adam and Eve in the garden with complete provision. Jesus is in a place of lacking. He hasn't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights. He's hungry. Eve is in a place of overabundance. And in both cases, Satan is saying, I'm going to make you question what God has provided for you. And we are tempted in both ways. Sometimes we're lacking. Sometimes we don't have the physical things that we need. And so we are upset that we don't have those and we look for other provision. But sometimes we have more than we need. And this is probably the case for Americans more than not, where we have more than we need and we're tempted to want more. That's what Satan is doing. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you shopped for something on your phone today that you didn't need? Anybody? Anybody want to confess? Or this weekend? Well, you guys are good. I've got like a couple of like nods and winks going on here, like auction style. Nobody really wants to fess up. That is us looking at the abundance God has given us and saying, you know what, God, I'd like one more thing. Just like Eve is doing right here. Eve is literally in paradise, right? This is the only paradise that's ever been on earth. Eve is in it, and now Satan has got her thinking maybe there's something more that she should want. And so Satan is going to challenge us to involve ourselves in evil by rejecting God's provision for us. Because if he can get us to doubt that God is providing good things for us, there's a good chance that he can get us to doubt that God's purposes and plans are not good for us either. So let's think about this. Jesus is taken by the devil to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and he's set on the pinnacle of the temple. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, Satan says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And once again, the answer doesn't quite fit the temptation. how How is this a test? What is going on here? What is God's plan for Jesus? What is the purpose 
that God has for Jesus, it's to suffer and to die. We know that Jesus himself is bothered by this purpose that God has for him because in the garden, right before the crucifixion, his prayer is, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. He knows what's coming and he's not especially excited about it, even though he loves us enough to do it anyway. We know that this is a hardship for him and this is a real temptation for him. And so what Satan is doing is he's giving Jesus a different purpose. He's saying, announce yourself now to Jerusalem. Throw yourself off the temple. Make it clear to everyone that you're God. The angels will come up into the air and they'll, they'll let you float down safely. They won't let you harm yourself. Let's announce you this way without the suffering and death. Isn't that a better plan, Jesus? And if Jesus had in fact begun to doubt the provision of God, then he would probably begin to doubt this purpose as well because he wouldn't think that God had given him what he needs. We know that that's where Eve goes in Genesis. The serpent says to the woman, you're not going to die, which is a lie, by the way. You are going to die. God knows that when you eat of the tree, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and it was desirable to make one wise, well, we know what she does. We'll get there in a second. But she looks at this purpose that God has for her and begins to reject it and reject good and reject God because she's bought the lie now that the purpose is not a good one. The one that God has for her is not good. What was his purpose for Adam and Eve? To live in paradise with him. That was his purpose. And he did not want them to know the difference between good and evil. He told them, don't touch that tree. I'm sorry, don't eat that tree. She added the don't touch part. He said, don't eat of that tree. I want you to just live with me in perfection. I want to walk with you. I want to be a part of your life. That's what I want for you. I don't want you to know sickness, pain, or death. And Satan got her to believe that maybe there was a purpose that was better. And part of the way he got her to believe that is by doubting that God had provided good things for her. And so here she is now choosing a purpose that is corrupting, that is evil. This is what evil means. The Hebrew word means to spoil, to break down, uh, to make no good, make, uh, make it so that it's of no value. And this is what Satan is doing to her, her purpose. He's breaking it down. He's making it worthless in her mind. And that's evil. We know this and we see this. I talked about money already. We see this with money. We see this in the way that Scripture talks about money versus the way we feel about money. Money says that, oh, I'm sorry, money says. Let's not talk about what money says. Scripture says that money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we know that. That's pretty clear. It's straightforward in Scripture. Jesus says you can't serve money and God. You can only serve one. One's going to be your master. Who's it going to be? So Jesus is really clear about money. But still, we think, God, maybe there's a better purpose for me and money. I seem to like it. It's, you know, it's fun. I enjoy having it. I like to be able to spend it. Maybe it's okay for me to have all of this money or to work to have all of this money. That's the, sort of, that's the sort of corruption that we buy into in a society that's ruled by it. We don't know how to be content with little. We don't know how to be like Paul who says in Philippians, I've learned how to be content in all circumstances with a lot or with a little. We don't know how to do that. That is a purpose that gets corrupted for us when we begin to doubt God's provision. Here's another one. This is the controversial part. If you were sleeping, wake up. It wasn't just for Austin. Here's the controversial part. In our culture today, puppies are more important than people. Now, I'm going to go on, but I have to give a disclaimer. I don't hate dogs. 
I don't hate that you have dogs or cats. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when my wife and I got married, like a good American couple, we got a dog. And we had the dog. We loved the dog. It was a great dog. As far as I know, it's still a great dog. Well, probably not anymore. still a great dog. And then we had a child, and then we had a second child. And the house that we lived in was at a boarding school where there were lots of kids around, and this was a bad situation for the dog. Not just for us, for the dog too. And so we looked for people to give our dog to, and nobody wanted to take the dog. And here's where you're going to think I hate dogs. I had to take the dog to a shelter. I don't hate dogs. I would like to get a dog again sometime. But I prioritized my family and my children over that dog And later, when I was talking to some friends about this, they, there was condemnation from them to me because I had made that choice. And they had very good, solid moral clarity about the fact that I had made a bad choice in elevating the purposes or the, um, uh, the priority of my children and my family over having a pet. They were very clear about that. And that's a purpose that is out of whack in part because of doubting God's provision, but in part just because uh, evil has entered the world, right? Evil entered the world through Adam, and things, purposes, good purposes that God has are corrupted. What's God's purpose for animals? That we take care of them. He doesn't want us to abandon them. He wants us to take care of them and take care of them well. So that's a good purpose, but he doesn't want us to elevate them over people. We are made in his image, and we do take priority. And that's hard. That's controversial. As I say it, you're like, I don't know. I like my pets. I don't like people. Right? It gets worse, though. Jesus now tempts... I'm sorry. I keep saying that. I apologize. Satan now tempts Jesus in this way. The devil took Jesus to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And here, the challenge from Satan is very clearly answered by Jesus. Satan says, what I'm really getting at is I want you to doubt God's provision and purpose because I want you to doubt his person as well. I want you to reject God. I want you to choose me. That's what Satan is saying. And we do the same thing. Eve does the same thing. You guys know how this story ends. The woman sees the true, uh, Eve sees the, the tree is good for food and that it's a delight to the eyes and that it's to be desired to make one wise. And she takes of the fruit and she eats and she gives some to Adam, her husband who's with her, and he eats. And immediately their eyes are opened. They know that they're naked. They start to feel the shame. And they sew fig leaves together and make themselves loincloths. And they can't live with God anymore like they once did. They have worshipped themselves. And the reason that Satan is always headed in this direction, the reason that he's always trying to get us to worship someone other than God, is because he knows we were made to worship. He knows that we're hardwired this way. We are always worshipping someone or something. And either it's going to be God ourselves or some other idol. And you can argue that ourselves and an idol are the same thing. But we're always worshiping something. And to varying degrees, right, we're worshiping God as we should, but we're always worshiping something. And Satan knows that. And he wants us to reject God because he wants us to fall with him. He doesn't, he doesn't like the fact that God is glorified. He wanted to be glorified. 
So this is where it's headed. If you doubt that God has given you good things and you doubt that he's doing good things in your life, eventually you'll be tempted to doubt that God is good himself, that he's of any worth or any value to you, and you'll just worship yourself or some other thing that you found valuable. So if evil is the rejection of God, when Jesus encounters evil, what does he do? He relies on the Father. Jesus relies on the Father here. In Matthew 4, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I said earlier that Jesus' response sort of hints at where we should go. Here's what Jesus does. He does the will of his Father, and that feeds him. And so this is what it means to not live by bread alone. Do the will of the Father. In John 4, which I believe you guys treated on last week, Jesus talks to this woman at a well, and he gives her the gospel. He gives her the truth. And then his disciples come, and they say, Rabbi, we finally got some food for you. Would you eat? And he says to them, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, what are you talking about? Has somebody brought Jesus food and they didn't tell us? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so when Jesus is tempted, and obviously not right there in Matthew 4, but here in John 4, he's hungry again. We know because the disciples were sent to get food. When Jesus is tempted by hunger, he is able to satisfy even that need by doing the will of the Father, by doing what God has called him to do. And so this is counterintuitive, but I want you to think about giving as a response to the temptation to doubt God's provision. If you've doubted that God has provided good things for you, that you either A, don't have enough, or maybe you have a lot, but you don't have the right things, I want to challenge you to give away what you do have. And I mean that literally, physically, give away things. Be, be a person who is of the uh, comportment or of the um, sort of uh, standard that you, you hold, that you would give what you have to others who are in need, but also give them the gospel. That's what Jesus does with the woman at the well. He gives her the gospel, and it's nourishment to him, and it's nourishment to us. It helps us to appreciate who God is and what he's doing as opposed to who we are and what we're doing. So that's how he responds. He gives. When, he is needing to, uh, when he's needing to challenge that temptation, he's going to give the gospel. And as far as God's purposes are concerned, his response to Satan, verse 7, is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the disciples come to Jesus, and he wants to teach them how to pray, this is Matthew chapter 6, he shows them that in the same way that it's kind of counterintuitive that you would give as a response to the temptation that you don't have the right things, he says, I want you to pray when you're tempted to choose a purpose other than mine. So instead of creating just a better purpose, like that's not the right response, right? Uh, God's purpose has been rejected, and so I'm just going to build a better purpose. We can't do that. Instead, submit to the Father, pray to him. He says, don't be, like, uh, the, don't be like the Gentiles. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Submit to the Father's kingdom, not your own. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Rely on him. Submit. Again, submit, submit. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This right here is how we can combat the temptation to choose a purpose that is 
not what God would have chosen for us. So he is giving us a good purpose, and if we want to see that, we have to submit to it. We have to pray that his will would be done. And then finally, if we're going to rely on God's person, we need to worship. And in order to help you facilitate, to facilitate that worship, I want to read to you some passages of Scripture tonight. So I'm going to be reading from Revelation 5, if you want to follow along. That's where I'm headed right now. You don't have to, though. I'm going to read it so you can hear it. And the reason I want to read Revelation chapter 5 is because it's going to hopefully help you to worship the one true God. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, this is the Father, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He's conquered evil. He's conquered sin and death. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Seven here representing perfection, repeated to show its significance. And Jesus went and took the scroll from the right hand of the Father, seated on the throne. And when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, ransomed us, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, or thousands on thousands, ten thousands on ten thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That's God. That's not us. That's God. When you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, do the angels bow down and worship you? Right? When you step out of the shower in all of your glory, is there like angel choirs and the living elders and the, the beasts with the eyes and the wings and they're just praising your name? No, because you're not God. We are not God and yet we do elevate ourselves there. As soon as we begin to doubt that God is providing for us or that his plans are good for us, we begin to doubt that he's good or that he even is. And then pretty soon, God is not a part of our life at all. We doubt his person. And Jesus says, worship. You are made to worship. You shall worship God alone. Worship him. One more passage. This is Revelation chapter 21. This is who God is, and this is what God is doing. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And now listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, he'll provide for them, 
and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. That's a pretty good purpose. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And you could just keep reading. Read on to the end of the book. Right? Because it's all good, and this is all God. And this is who he is, and this is what he's doing, and this is who we need to worship. I want to wrap up with, a, uh, with an analogy which may make sense to some of you. If it doesn't, I apologize. Stick with me for just a second. I think sometimes life can feel like a, a spoiled, spoiled soup on a broken burner situation. Here's what I mean. Uh, some of you are college students, yes? You're living on your own, some of you for the first time or maybe the first couple of years, and you have bought food and you have left it on the counter, and you've come back and you've smelled that food, and you've said, oh, that's not good. Right? Now imagine somebody asks you to make soup with that, and they give you a stove that doesn't work. That's a bad situation, right? They provided bad stuff, and they didn't give you a good plan with which to address that stuff. I mean, at least if the burner worked, right, you could boil it to death, and then it would be safe to drink. But in this life, when we have those situations where we feel like we've got bad materials and we've got bad equipment with which to work with those materials, we are going to doubt God. We're going to get to the place where we doubt the Father, where we don't think he is good or he is, period. And that's, that's a reality. That's where we're going to be sometimes because this world is sinful. Because Adam sinned, Eve sinned, and sin came into the world through Adam and Eve. So we are by nature, sinners. But we're also sinners by choice. All of that bad stuff, we often choose it. Eve had all of paradise and she still chose the one thing that she shouldn't have chosen. So we're going to choose bad stuff and we're going to create purposes for ourselves that we shouldn't create. So don't look to God and blame God and say, God, why did you give me these things? Know that you've chosen many of those things and instead worship him. I have one more word of admonition for you and then Jason, I'll be done. Here's your cue. This is from Romans 12. Most of you know Romans 12. It's familiar to you. This is Paul talking about good and evil and how we as a community, because God has also given us each other, how we as a community can deal with these temptations. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Give, give, give to each other. When you feel like you don't have enough, still give. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's God's plan for you. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, don't, uh, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own sight. And repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what you do that is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. And beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, even your enemies. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And here's Paul's conclusion. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is our total response. Yes, we should give. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we should worship. But our total response is to rely on God because he's good and he is what enables us to overcome evil. 
Evil is corrupting. It is destroying all of, all of us and all around us. But Jesus has already won the battle. He is the victor. And we don't have to do any of that stuff to get his help, right? All we have to do is respond in that way once we have embraced him. It's a free gift of grace. He says, here, here's salvation. It's for you. I loved you while you're yet sinners. It's, it's yours. So all this stuff that I've talked about, this is just how to respond. But Jesus is offering you the gift of salvation for free. Remember that. Let's pray. God, I praise you and thank you for giving us your good gifts. I pray, Lord, that you would help us when we are tempted to doubt what you have provided and doubt your purposes for our lives and doubt you. Uh, We want to reject you sometimes, Lord, because we want to worship ourselves. And I pray that you would keep us from sin and deliver us from evil. In your name I pray, amen.